You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I'm here. Aaron's here. This show's presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them we told you to call. Uh, The best sports week, Aaron, best sports weekend um, and week of the year is over. And it was highlighted by one of the all-time football games. And I stayed up for the entirety of it. Texas A&M LSU on Saturday night, seven overtimes, with LSU basically having it taken from them at multiple at multiple points during the fourth quarter and during the overtime period. Um, we're going to get to that a little bit later on, uh, I promise, and I'll document each uh, time that LSU basically had the game won and it was then taken from them uh, by horrible officiating in most cases. Uh, Dwight Howard reportedly was or is involved in a relationship that has gone sideways. The nature of that relationship nearly blew up Twitter on Saturday night. I think we're going to get to that at some point during this show, or I may save it to have that conversation with Tommy when he's here tomorrow. Of course, we're going to have to spend a lot of time with Tommy on Colt McCoy, his son's performance uh, on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, Clinton Portis is going to be with us on the show today. That's coming up in about 15, 20 minutes uh, or so. Um... You know, last week, Aaron, I barely mentioned that I went 7-1 and one on last weekend's smell test. You know, my pops always told me, act like you've been there before. Stay humble. <laughs> stay humble. Uh, especially in that trade, uh, you better stay humble. But really, the reason I didn't mention it much is because we were in a short week, and we had a lot going on last week, and I really never got around to it. Well, this week, we got plenty of time to talk about my smell test from over the weekend a 13 and 4 weekend. 10 and 2 on Saturday, 10 and 2 on Saturday. Uh, then 3 and 2 yesterday and last night. Um had the Vikings, so I was glad that the Packers kicked that field goal on 4th and 1 late in the game down 24-14. Um that's 20 and 5 over the last 2 weeks. And if you go back to two Sundays ago, remember uh, I was 3 and 0 that Sunday. So it's 23 and 5 on the last 28 picks. That's like 82%. Um I have the Titans going tonight. Uh, I took the Titans on Friday's line, plus six. That line's now down to three and a half, four. Uh, But that's the way we do it. We do it based on Friday's lines. Unless I give it out on a Monday, but I gave it out on a Friday, plus the six. I had the Jets Friday, plus 10. That number went to 13. So it doesn't always work out for me. That could have cost me, but uh, it didn't actually because the Patriots won by 14, even though the Jets had a first and goal situation at the end to get the backdoor cover and couldn't punch it in. Um, But the smell test is on fire. Uh, Interesting that this run started, uh, Aaron, after that disastrous NFL Sunday three weeks ago when many of the Vegas sports books were quoted as saying that they took one of their biggest losses ever on an NFL Sunday. That was the Sunday when Kansas City was a big favorite of Cleveland, or not big enough, and the public was all over Kansas City and they routed Cleveland. It was the day the Vikings beat the Lions in the Houston-Denver game. Everybody was on Houston, and Denver missed a field goal at the end for the push. Um, It was like the biggest winning day for public bettors um, ever, according to many of the sports books. Uh, Remember that VP of sports gaming at, I forget where it was, Westgate or one of those places. And he said, and this was such a telling quote, you know, after explaining how badly they had been beaten the day before, he said, quote, "Uh, but we're going to be open tomorrow anyway. Right. If you were wondering. 
Um, they've had a, a, a few good weeks. Uh, and how do I know that? Because I've had a few good weeks. Um, that's the way the smell test works. It's, it's, it's essentially, you know, contrarian anti-public, uh, philosophy, not completely that, but, uh, you know, here's what makes, um, you know, me different than guys that Ted Leonsis believes can take, you know, can completely take down Vegas with analytics and predictive modeling as if sports betting is like investing in the stock market, which it is not. Uh, tw- I, I know that 23 and five won't continue. I've had some really good years, but never an 82% year. Uh, I'm not 82% for the year. I think I'm 56% uh, on the year right now. I'm 79 and 63, I think, overall. Uh, my best year over the last 13, I've been doing this for 13 years, 12 years going into the season, had won eight of the 12, and it looks like I'm headed towards, you know, there's a lot of football left. I could still take a bath here over the last, you know, five weeks of the season with bowl games and playoffs and all of it. Um, but uh, nine out of 13, if, if, if I end up winning again this year, is pretty good. Um, the worst year I've ever had, somebody asked me that on Twitter last week or the week before, I think it was 48%. And my best year was like 64.5%. I think I went one year. Um, Here's what I know for almost 100% sure. My bookmaker, or the few that I have, because I have a few, um, they're going to be open tomorrow, all right? And they're going to continue to take my action. And those guys, Leonsis believes, can beat Vegas with analytics and predictive modeling. Um, My guys would stand in line for their business because they are truly the marks, Truly the marks. My action, they're going to take my action. They're not going to stop my action from being uh, put down um, just because I'm 23 and 5. Now, I will tell you, Aaron, I have been limited before by various places, uh, offshore in particular. Not in football, though. Not in football. Football's hard. College hoops I've been limited to over the years. Never cut off completely, um, but limited. Uh, Anyway, go Titans tonight. Uh, (laughs) let's uh, Let's get a 14 and 4. Uh, weekend. Um, no Redskins game yesterday. So if you missed the recap of the Cowboys game, we did that on Friday's show. Uh, if you're not a subscriber and you don't have all the shows automatically downloaded or cat and cataloged, you can always go to the Kevin Sheehan show.com. Just click past episodes and you, you can listen to every show we've done since the beginning, what we're two and a half months into this thing. And some of you, some of you have just found the podcast. Um, the response we've gotten, the number of downloads we've, we've gotten, you know, is well over seven figures now. So according to all the people that understand this podcast thing, it's apparently doing well. I'm happy about that because when the 980 thing ended, I had no idea what I was going to do. I definitely didn't want to stop doing this. Now, I think I mentioned, you know, when we first started this podcast that we put together a group and we tried to buy a radio station in town um, to, to put Cooley and me on the air together and Tommy on the air again and uh, Andy and Tony and Scott Jackson and a lot of others potentially. Um, we just, we didn't get it done. The seller became very difficult right before the, uh, the possible or the potential closing of it. But we, we continue to look for those things. But I'll tell you what, this podcast thing, I like it. I like it a lot. I, I, I love more than anything doing two days a week with Tommy. I love doing that. I love that Cooley's able to come on the show occasionally. He's been coming on on average about once a week. Um, many of you have asked me, do you really miss radio? I do. I do miss radio. I miss doing that show with Chris. 
Um, but the new owners, uh, they had other ideas. You know, the investor group uh, and I were going to continue to look for other opportunities. But right now, this podcast thing uh, is better than what I would have expected. And for you, many of you have said it's better too because it's no difficult, you know, AM signal to deal with and you can listen when you want, how you want. So anyway, uh, I don't know how we got on that. Oh, I know how we got on that topic. I was telling uh, you to, if you miss episodes like, you know, the Friday show because it was the day after Thanksgiving, just go to the KevinSheehanShow.com, upper right-hand corner, click past episodes and every show is there. And I think if you listen on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, if you subscribe, they should be cataloged and saved in your podcast icon. They are for me. And again, subscribe doesn't mean that it costs you anything. It's free. So subscribe and rate it and review it if you haven't already. That always helps. Uh, All right, enough of that stuff. Let's go to last night. (laughs) Let's Let's go to the whole NFL Sunday, but we'll start with last night. The biggest plays and the clutch moment. It's time to go around the NFL. All right, yeah, let's start in Minneapolis. Um, Look, for all of you that come for me uh, every time Kirk plays poorly, have the balls to give him credit when he plays well. All of you, you know who you are. You're all major front runners. Some dude uh, tweeted me uh, late last night, and I responded this morning. Dude, uh, you know, your Twitter was working last Sunday night when he threw two picks in Chicago. Yeah, it was. And I acknowledged that he played very poorly in Chicago and talked about that on this podcast last Monday. I I have so many of you, and I I love all you guys because this is always fun, and it's a great conversation, and it has been over the years. O, O is a good friend of mine. I love O. Um, We see each other at high school basketball games around the city all the time. He sent me a text last Sunday night, Aaron, when Kirk threw the pick six at Chicago and said, uh, uh, let, me, uh, let me just ask, how are you going to uh, talk about how Cousins didn't screw it up? <laughs> and I said, well, you did hear it. I said he had a poor game. What else do you want me to say? He played poorly last Sunday night. But at the same time, if you watch that game and you're objective – He faced a very good defense on the road in Soldier Field with a running game that managed 17 yards on 13 carries by his running backs. Zero help from the running game. He did not play well last Sunday night. But I promise you, if you're being objective and you know anything about football and you watch that game, almost every quarterback in the league not named Rodgers, Breeze, Brady. I don't know, maybe maybe Mahomes now. They all would have had the same game at Chicago last week. Do you know that Chicago's pass rush last week, they said this on the broadcast last week, and I think they said it in the pregame show last night. The Bears' pass rush last Sunday night against the Vikings was the quickest of the year in any NFL game. The fastest pass rush of the year in terms of how long after the snap it took to get to the quarterback. Yet somehow, my boy O, J-Funds, Road Chaser, (laughs) All of you. And I love the conversation. But that loss, according to all of you, was solely a Kirk Cousins loss. Seriously. Come on, they want you to disown your son every time he has a bad <laughs> Seriously. game. Seriously. I mean, I watched that game, too, and he did not play well, and he could not overcome uh, the rest of the team that did not play well. He wasn't good. I'll give you that. But most quarterbacks in the league wouldn't be good when they had 10 runs of zero or negative yardage against the Bears. Be fair. 
Um, last night they weren't playing the Bears. Uh, they were playing a banged-up Packers team at home. Huge game, yes. A big-time stakes game. A game with major playoff implications. So, of course, he was going to throw three picks in that game. Um, but it wasn't the Bears on the road with no running game. They didn't have much of a running game last night uh, either. But the circumstances were different. I told my buddy O last Tuesday, I said, when he lights up the Packers on Sunday night, please text me to acknowledge how well he played. Let me know, you know, like let me know that you're not just a total front runner. Of course, he hasn't texted me. Nothing from any of you. It's painful for some of you, J Funds, Row Chaser. None of you that ever have anything to say when he plays well, which by the way, is a healthy majority of the games that he starts. I'll come in here after a game like last week and say he didn't play well. You won't do the same when he does play well. You're all wishing you can be right on this, but you're not. He's a good quarterback. Not great, good quarterback. And when he has help, a running game, which he never had here and he doesn't really have in Minnesota right now, he can be a very good quarterback, a franchise quarterback, one of 15 or so in the league. The Redskins don't have a franchise quarterback. They did. They don't now. But again, just to be fair and clear, I wouldn't have paid him $28 million either. I just would have paid him nineteen. million. Uh, last night was a good football game. Minnesota's two running backs uh, averaged less than three yards per carry, but man, was Cousins on. He killed the blitz last night throughout. Um, that's what he's done better than anything else since he's been a starter in the NFL. He's one of the best quarterbacks against the blitz. Last night, he was 29-38 for 300, 346 yards. Three touchdowns, no picks, big throws, too, in the fourth quarter. Uh, that ate the clock on a big drive uh, when they were up 10, kept the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands. A third and six to Thielen for 20 yards, a third and one to the fullback to move the chains, a third and six with two minutes left up 24-17. to 17. I was surprised. I'll tell you what, I was actually surprised that the Packers kicked the onside kick with 2.20 left in a timeout. I thought they could have kicked it deep. And they would have had two timeouts, in essence, the two-minute warning and uh, the one timeout they had. And that would have given Aaron Rodgers the, uh, the ball back had they gotten a stop with about a minute 20 left in, in 24-17. They kicked an onside kick, which doesn't work anymore in the NFL because of the new uh, alignment rules. I mean, I don't know what the numbers are this year on onside kicks, but I haven't seen one even remotely close to being I think recovered. I, I just pulled it up. It looks like there have been three successful in the NFL. This Out of year. how many? Uh, coming into it looks like coming into this week, it was three of thirty-four. Why don't they just bunch everybody up in the middle? It's got to be equal side, like five right. on each side. Why don't they just bunch everybody up in the middle and try the onside kick right down the middle with the hop instead of? to one side where you only have five guys. I don't know. I, it, I thought Green Bay could have kicked it deep there, um, but they. But then I was actually a bit surprised. I was happy that Zimmer put the game in Kirk's hands in that spot on the third and six at the two-minute warning because if they didn't get it there, they were still going to have to punt, and, and he was going to get the ball back, but they took a risk. And I'll tell you what, it was one of Kirk's worst throws of the game. Yep. But Diggs made a great catch, and the game ended uh, on that play. Minnesota's kicker issues, it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. Minnesota that, and San Diego can't that, find kickers. But, but Minnesota's had more big kicks missed. Yes. You know, the Blair Walsh yes. playoff miss. You know, they, they had Daniel Carlson. They, Minnesota has missed five field goals against one team this year, the Packers. Five. Three in the first game. Two more last night. 
Dan Bailey missed a 47-yarder. Then he made a 51-yarder. But there was, a, there was a bad, incorrect false start penalty on Minnesota that took that off the board, pushed it back five yards, and then he missed from 56. So there's no shame in missing from 56. By the way, he got roughed on that on that field goal. No, no penalty called. Bottom line from, from the game last night, Cousins was excellent. So were his receivers. Look, they don't have a good offensive line. They've got a terrible offensive line right now. It played well last night. Um, the running game hasn't been good this year because of the offensive line issues. You know, it's not because Dalvin Cook missed some games. Latavius Murray's fine. Uh, but what they do have is they've got a quarterback that gets it out quickly, and they've got Diggs and Thielen. And, man, are they good. And now the defense is playing much better than it did early in the year with Everson Griffin back. Best third-down defense in all of football right now, Minnesota's. So they come away with the 24-17 win, a huge win for them because their schedule, listen to this, at New England Sunday, then at Seattle, and they still have to play Chicago one more time. They had to get a win last night to get to 6-4-1. They did lose a very important player, Xavier Rhodes, late in that game, one of the better corners in the league. It looked like it was a hamstring issue. Um, That would be a devastating injury to that defense, which is really starting to play well. The Packers... Man, Aaron Rodgers didn't look right all night. Um, they got to him. Uh, they're four, six, and one. I wouldn't count them out completely. You know, one of the things in watching Green Bay is they should be better offensively right now because they can run the football. You know, they haven't been able to run the football in recent years. They can run it with Aaron Jones. I wouldn't count them out. Um, they've got the Cardinals, the Jets, the Lions left. They have Atlanta at home. And they have one game that looks very difficult, and they'll have to run the table to get to 9-6-1. and one. Aaron Rodgers went through the whole thing last night during his press conference. He was looking at the schedule. He's like, we got to beat the Cardinals. Got to beat the Jets. Got to go to Chicago and win. Do you know they haven't lost? They've won eight in a row in Chicago. Um, so I don't think they're dead yet. I know a lot of people basically buried them last night. I think the Packers are still alive. Um, how about Philadelphia yesterday staying alive? Um, the Eagles now essentially control their own path to the NFC East title. Um, They're still not playing great, though. If you watch this game, and I watched a lot of this game, I was flipping back and forth between red zone, but I really wanted to see Giants and Eagles. You know, they're missing so many pieces defensively in the secondary. They're playing backups for the most part. Um, The Giants had a really good chance. They were up 19-3 in this game. I don't know if you... If, if you guys heard this or not, Saquon Barkley in the first half had 20 touches for 120 total yards and two touchdowns, and he got five touches in the second half. Unbelievable. Sometimes coaches in the NFL, you just question what they're doing. This guy, Pat Shermer, is really off to a horrific you know, first year. Um, he said this after the game, quote, uh, we were going to spell him a little bit as we went. It had nothing to do with the outcome of the game. I beg to differ. I think it absolutely had something to do with the outcome of the game. So here we go. Skins at Philadelphia a week from tonight. Eagles are six-and-a-half-point favorites. The Eagles are banged up defensively, most of it in their secondary. But, you know, they've given up some yards on the run recently, six yards per carry in their last four games. So maybe the Redskins can run it Monday night. But then again, the Redskins haven't been able to run the ball against teams that aren't very good at stopping the run, like Atlanta and Tampa. This game is near must for Philly, 
and we'll know by Monday night where the Cowboys are. They're going to lose to New Orleans. They are seven and a half point underdogs at home Thursday night. Um, there's a decent chance we'll be sitting here uh, late Monday night, a week from today, with three teams at six and six in the NFC East with four to go. I think the Skins have a shot at Philadelphia. I do. The Eagles are not great. It's obvious. You know, I don't believe that they're all of a sudden getting it together now for a big run down the stretch. They were behind in that game 19-3. to There was no indication down 19-3 to in the first half that the Eagles are, like, putting together a big late-season run. They won the game against the Giants coming from behind when the Giants head coach refused to give the ball or throw the ball to the guy that had carried them to a 16-point lead in the second quarter. How about the Giants, though? Three and eight, six of their eight losses this year by a touchdown or less. How about the Panthers and the Seahawks yesterday? Russell Wilson threw a 35-yard touchdown pass to David Moore on a fourth and three to tie the game, and then he led a drive that finished with a Janikowski walk-off game-winning field goal from 31 yards out to give Seattle a monster 30-27 to win over Carolina. A big win in the NFC wildcard race. The Panthers are reeling three straight losses. Graham Gano missed a 52-yard field goal with a minute 40 left in the game. That ended a 41-made field goal stretch for Gano at home. He hadn't missed in his last 41 attempts at home. This game featured one of you know, a group of just budding superstars. Christian McCaffrey is a superstar, man. 237 yards from scrimmage. 17 carries, a buck 25, 11 catches for 112 yards, and two more touchdowns. First Carolina player in history to surpass 100 yards in both receiving and rushing in the same game. And then on the the other side, it was Russell Wilson, 339 yards passing, two touchdown passes. Seattle now has the edge on Carolina for a wild card spot. And Carolina, you know, after being 6-2 and and me putting him into my Power 5 rankings and being mocked by Tommy, appropriately so, Carolina's lost three in a row, and they lose tiebreakers to a lot of teams, you know, that, that could be there, tied with them at the end of the year, including the Redskins. The Redskins, as I mentioned on Friday, they're very much in the wild card race too. So are the Cowboys and so are the Eagles. Like this notion that the NFC East, you know, it's a, a weak division. It may be, but it still may produce two playoff teams. That's not out of the question. Um, the Seahawks, uh, the Carolina Panthers now lose tiebreakers to Seattle and Washington, although they win tiebreakers with Philly and Dallas. How about this for Seattle though? Six and five. Four of their final five games are at home. One road game for the Seahawks down the stretch. And that is and the road game is at San Francisco. And they get the Niners at home and the Cardinals also at home. Now they also play Minnesota and Kansas City. Both of those games, however, are in the toughest home environment in football. Um Seattle's in a really good spot to get to 9, maybe 10 wins. They're a good bet right now for one of the wild cards when we get there. I mean, they can't win the division. Um, because the Rams have run away with that. How about a few of the other games real quickly? Uh, Pittsburgh-Denver. Oh, my God. I mean, probably the. I mean, one of the games of the day. I mean, it, it, that was a smell test pick Denver was. Um, 
you can't <laughs> look. It's really simple. If you, if you looked at the if you looked at that game, uh, Ben Roethlisberger had 452 yards passing in the game. He was 42 of 58. But the Steelers had four turnovers and Denver had none. That's it. That's the game right there. And they needed basically all four of them to pull it off. Roethlisberger has him at the doorstep late in the game to tie it up. I was actually interested to see if, you know, and I thought I was expecting them to to score there. And you know Tomlin in Pittsburgh. I thought, hell, they might go for two. Um, but they, but Roethlisberger threw the worst interception I think I've ever seen him throw. It was terrible. He got quick pressure uh, at the three-yard line, dumped it over the middle, and the defensive tackle dropped back in coverage and picked it off easily. And if he hadn't picked it off, it would have been picked off anyway. Yep. Pittsburgh now... You know, they were on this roll, and last week they were down 16 nothing at Jacksonville, and then they lose to Denver. They still have the Chargers. That's the Sunday night game, the Chargers in Pittsburgh. They still have to play the Patriots. They still have to play the Saints. You know, that NFC North, which looked two weeks ago to be a lock, or even last week to be a lock. Now, Baltimore's got a brutal, brutal schedule also, and I don't know what, Flack, uh, what Harbaugh's going to do this week because Lamar Jackson's been dynamic in so many ways but also very limited in so many ways and they were lucky they played the Bengals who are basically tanking right now and the Raiders in back-to-back weeks and now you know is Lamar Jackson going to go on go to Atlanta and Kansas City the next two weeks and win one of those two which is what really Baltimore has to do Tough decision for Harbaugh. Will Very it be interested. Lamar Jackson. I'm sorry. I mean, I think there's a big question right now. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, it's a big decision. Harbaugh wouldn't answer it yesterday. They still have road games in Atlanta. Don't uh, Atlanta's four and seven record. I mean, we know that how capable they are offensively. Uh, they've got to play at Arrowhead. They've got to play in Los Angeles against the Chargers. So. You know, theoretically, the the division is still alive for Baltimore, but realistically, even though Pittsburgh's got tough games left and they aren't playing as well as they were, I still think that that is Pittsburgh's division. Uh, You know who played well yesterday? I really thought uh, Case Keenum. I don't think the numbers will sort of reflect um, how good he was in that game, and he hasn't been very good uh, in, in a lot of these games, he was 15 of 28 for a buck 97, but he really managed the game. And let me just tell you right now, because I should have bought this guy two weeks ago in NFL buy or sell when I first saw him. Philip Lindsay, who was an undrafted running back out of Colorado, is going to be an NFL star. His speed, his his yards after contact. This dude, how did he not get drafted? 14 carries, 110 yards for Lindsey um, yesterday against uh, against the the uh, the Steelers. He has become in recent weeks the go-to guy for Denver. Uh, he's averaging on the season now near six yards per carry. He's small too. If you haven't seen Philip Lindsey, check him out. And here's the deal in the AFC with Denver, who got to five and six with that win. They play the Bengals, the Niners, the Raiders. Now, they play the Browns. That's at home. The Browns aren't easy right now. And then they'll play the Chargers at the end of the year. And the Chargers, at that point, they may already have the wild card locked up, their position locked up. Who knows? Watch out for Denver making a run here late in the AFC.
Uh, the Ravens uh, mentioned them briefly. They get the win over the Raiders yesterday. They scored on special teams. They scored on defense in the game. Um, Lamar Jackson, though, I mean, I watched enough of this. You know, he's certainly not so comfortable yet as a drop-back passer, but he doesn't look like RG3 did at times as a drop-back guy. He looks better to me. I actually think he throws a nice touch ball. Um, Gus Edwards, where the hell did he come from? 118 yards. Jackson also, after going 27 carries a week ago, only carried it 11 times in this game for 71 yards. Uh, And the Ravens win 34-17. And again, and I mentioned, they have the Falcons and the Chiefs on the road next two weeks. And then they have Tampa at home before they have to play the Chargers on the road. The AFC playoff race is very interesting. There's so many teams in the hunt right now in the AFC. Uh, Miami went to Indianapolis. They had a 24-14 fourth quarter lead. And this was a game to really put the Dolphins in contention. You know, this was a, a game overall uh, that you, you know, two five and five teams to stay in contention. Indy's really got a, a really good track now towards either a division or a wild card spot. Uh, in the AFC because they play, I mean, they play the, the Jags, they play the uh, Giants. Um, now, they also have games against the Texans and Titans, but both of those games are on the road. And they do have the Cowboys now at home. That, that's that's going to be a big game for both of those teams. But the, the win over the Dolphins was an Andrew Luck, uh, Luck-led win late, down 24-14, uh, drove them to a field goal, then got it back uh, after a three and out, drove them to a touchdown. Um, to tie the game, and then the final drive got him in field goal range for a walk-off field goal by Vinatieri. So um, they they scored 13 points on their final three possessions, uh, and they get the big win over the Dolphins uh, in that game. Luck ended up 30 of 37, 343 yards, two interceptions. Two of them came. I think both of them were at the end of the first half. I like their running back situation. I like Marlon Mack. I like Hines. Um, you know, they, hopefully Mack's okay. Yeah, I like Wilkins. They've got they've got a good situation there. And man, has Eric Ebron found a home in Indianapolis with Andrew Luck after being basically booed out of Detroit, the first round pick from North Carolina several years back. He had two more touchdowns on the year. They've got weapons uh, with Hilton and uh, Ebron. Um, Ryan Grant, I think, uh, if you were wondering early on in the season, I think he was a real factor for them. But I think recently he's basically uh, been nothing uh, for them. Uh, other games, real quickly, if you missed it, Phillip Rivers uh, broke the NFL record 25 consecutive completions to start the game against the Cardinals. Uh, in the AFC, I am rooting for him and the Chargers more than anybody else. Uh, he's a Hall of Famer in my eyes, a lock Hall of Famer in my eyes. I'd love to see him get the playoff success um, to go with it. Uh, the Patriots beat the Jets. Not overly impressive in that game, but they won the game. And the Browns all of a sudden have put two wins back-to-back together. They hammered uh, the Bengals. They were a smell test pick. The Browns were uh, yesterday. They were up 35-7 in that game. And I don't know if you saw this after the game, but Baker Mayfield was asked about Hugh Jackson and what he said. Hugh Jackson searched out Baker Mayfield on the field after the game, and Mayfield basically blew him off and said, you know, you leave here, you tell us we're a family, and you go to Cincinnati, a team we played twice in our division. Uh, I don't think either one of them, uh, certainly not from Baker Mayfield's standpoint, I don't think they're having any holiday dinners 
or hangouts uh, together. But Mayfield, all of a sudden, putting together a decent rookie season, four touchdown passes yesterday, no interceptions, a 96.7 QBR in that game, 19 of 26. And then Nick Chubb is is outstanding um, as well. But for Mayfield, all of a sudden, the, Indian, the Browns theoretically, or not theoretically, mathematically, are in the hunt in the AFC. I'm just saying, you know, they are actually in the hunt. But uh, Mayfield now, over the last two weeks, seven touchdowns, no picks, and he's completing like 80% of his passes over the last two weeks. Let me look at the Browns' schedule real quickly because they're 4-6-1. and one. Could they get to 9-6-1? and one? They play at Houston, Carolina at home, at Denver, Cincinnati at Ravens. Nah. Is 9-6-1 even going to do it? Would you say? I don't know if 9-6-1 9-6-1 may do it in the AFC. It, it could. Yeah, it may. Uh, the, the AFC picture right now, the two wild cards are both 6-5. and five. I mean, or, or the second wild card spot is six and five, which is Baltimore. The Chargers are at eight and three. So there's going to be a race between Baltimore, um, Indy, uh, Tennessee, Denver is now alive. You know, at five and six for that last wild card right. uh, position. All right, let's bring in Clinton Portis, uh, who joins us now on the podcast. Clinton has a podcast. Um, that you can get anywhere you get a podcast, you know, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. You can also get it at redskins.com. It's a good listen. Talks, uh, you know, all skins um, and, and, you know, breaking down games and players and situations. He does it well, and he's going to join us here right now. And there's a lot to talk about. And I actually want to start with sort of the state of the team because DJ Swearinger had some comments um, after the game on Thanksgiving Day, where he sort of called out some teammates for, you know, taking the loss a bit too lightly, um, and I, Charlie Casserly, and and I I wanted to read this to you, Charlie Casserly, longtime NFL general manager, now you know, Redskins GM, uh, Houston Texans GM, tweeted out the following, Clinton. He said, "Bad move by DJ Swearinger calling out teammates after the game. Never criticize your teammates in public." That is divisive. Just do your job and let coaches do the talking. Corrections should be made in private. You don't see this from the Patriots, and they win more than anybody else. Do you have a problem with DJ Swearinger calling out his teammates or not? I don't. If you're in a locker room full of guys that uh, just get over losses, I mean, we've all heard it the last few weeks where a guy's just over a loss as soon as it happened. And we know in football it doesn't happen that quick. Now, you got to have a short memory and be able to move on, but it doesn't happen. As soon as the game is over, you're on to the next opponent, you know. Uh, so for me, the, the only thing I have about that is when you're addressing a teammate, you have to address that teammate. You can't say it as a general statement because some of the guys that are hustling or giving their all begins to question it. You know, you look at Charlie, who's been in a lot of locker rooms, and the Patriots' way is totally different from everyone else. And, you know, the Patriots have internal stuff. It just never really leaked to the media. Maybe that's a good job by their media of not causing or staring anything up. But we know in D.C. that's totally different. So for me, I just feel like DJ should address the player. Hey, say his name, let him know that's who you're talking to. But you can do it behind closed doors or whatnot. You can't leave it on the coaches because obviously these coaches aren't those type of coaches that's in your face or that's willing to call out guys 
or push guys to the max. You know, these these coaches are kind of laid back and cool, and it's like, oh, yeah, I need you to do this. If you do it, cool. If you don't, so be it. But they're not fiery coaches like, oh, you're going to be benched or snatch you out of the game, you know. So it's totally different. I just think DJ should address his teammates. All right, let's just get then to sort of your overall feelings right now about a team that's lost two in a row, lost its starting quarterback, um, is reeling a little bit, has a massive game a week from tonight in Philadelphia as far as playoff implications. What's your confidence level in the Redskins' ability to get it together over these final five games and make the postseason? My confidence is tough, man. When you look at this team, you say, well, if they can get to 10 and 6, they win the division, you know, and it could be 1 at 9 and 7. So that means you have one slip-up over the next five weeks. So to see this team go on a four-game winning streak, it's tough, you know, and you want to believe in the team. You want to cheer for the team. You want to root for the team. You want to see them pull it off. But uh, with the injuries at all your key positions – and every week you lose guys, you lose players. Um, the attitude of the team, like you got to have that hunger, you got to have that killer instinct when you're two games up. You're two games up, and they fall, but you come up short. And, and that's like the story. You know, you go to Dallas, you get Houston, um, and you know, the refs. They've had some bad calls, yeah. some really bad calls. So you can't say the team not performing. It's just they need a killer instinct to get through these next five games. And with no breaks, you know, uh, this week you had the Thanksgiving game and you get a break in between, which is great for the team, but you don't really have breaks. You're not uh, going to be able to go out and acquire new people. I think the offensive line is doing a great job. Coach Callahan is doing a great job with the O-line, but every other position continuously lose players, you know, and uh, you look at Vernon Davis and a couple drops that he had in a two-week span. Those drops turn out to be huge because they're game changers. Uh, when you miss the pass, Alex missed the pass, and he had a big drop. So that's totally different. Uh, you look at the running game, being able to get that back going, that's what you wanted to lean on and feed off of. And all of a sudden, your lineman going down. Sheriff is really missed because it changes the running game. Um Trent being back on the field, Mario Moses staying healthy. Um, you got to have somebody step up for Colt. You know, uh, Colt was under a lot of pressure in his first game. Although it's a short week, you're on the road, tough game plan to get ready for a tough team to prepare for. But uh, you got to get it done. You can't really have excuses. And then the defense, which we relied so heavily on, um, all of a sudden being gashed or look slow, look fatigued. If, if guys are still having missed assignments week 12, week 13, that's tough. You know, you're, you're playing the same covers throughout. It's not like you go and change your defense. Right? Um, so guys having missed assignments and missed tackles, we've seen a lot of bad tackling the last couple of weeks. So if you don't get that fixed, it doesn't really get any easier. You know, you got division games uh, against the Eagles, the Jags. At some point, got to put it in. They just fired their offensive coordinator. So 
by the time we play the Jags, they got to have something going, you know. So when you look at this schedule, um, the Giants gave the Eagles a fight on Sunday. Um, they were up early and went away from Saquon. So being able to stop him, you got to figure out a way to win four games. And, well, you got to figure out a way to win three games, not four. If you can win three out of five, you got a chance. Yeah, I think that's right. I think nine and seven, if um, especially if you split with Philadelphia and beat the Giants at home to get those two division wins and also NFC wins, you know, whether it's the division or you know potentially still the wild card, that's still in play uh, for this team. But but there's a bigger picture here, CP. Uh, you know, and that is the the feeling of whether or not this thing is heading in the right direction. You got a quarterback that got hurt, and you don't really know what his future is. Obviously, he didn't play to the level that you wanted him to play at when he was healthy. Um, you've got a fan base that's a bit apathetic right now. And and I'm wondering, I thought before the season started that it was a playoff or bust situation for Bruce Allen and for Jay Gruden. And now I'm thinking, you know, they may make the playoffs, but they're not gonna they're not beating the Rams or the Saints. I mean, it's one of those years. You don't have that every year in, 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 when you get to the postseason. But this year, they can't go on the road and win in the Superdome. They can't go to the Coliseum and beat the Rams, even though that's not a big home field advantage. And I'm just wondering what you think, where this all will sort of flush out when this season is over and what happens well, next. You're, you're talking about the Rams and the Saints. There's not a lot of teams in the NFL that can beat the Rams I, and I the Saints. I agree. Uh, right now, but you got to look at where they would go if they end up in the wild card, and that's going through Chicago. That's going to be tough. Chicago, a home game in January, and it's freezing at, at Soldier Field. This team, the make of this team, you're going to have to catch some hard balls, some bricks being thrown at you. You're going to have to make some plays, and that defense uh, really not giving anything up. When you look offensively, you got a guy like Tariq Coyne, uh, that could be a problem for our defense in, in the matchup that they can uh, pose off that their offense posed to our defense. So uh, our defense is the team speed, man. When you get into this time of year and you see Amari Cooper, uh, a guy that's four 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 five, pulling away from our players, our defenders by five or six yards, you all of a sudden you're looking like, hey, we can't even. A guy catch a slant and take it the distance on us, and the flip side, we catch a slant and it's a it's a five yard throw or a four yard catch. You know, uh, we not even moving the chains, but guys catching slants and taking the distance, uh, it makes it tough because you can put Mason Foster in space and it's a mismatch. Although you want Mason Foster calling the defense, I think you got to put Josh Harvey Clemens on the field on third down along with Zach Brown and. Speed. Sit one of them downhill, sit one of them in zone, and, and hope he make a play. But uh, Mason Foster, a liability in coverage. Every third down, they put Mason Foster in the mismatch, and they go at him. And, and Mason Foster is playing his butt off. He's a good player, but he just don't have the speed that you need to cover some of these guys. And then you look in, in the secondary, you know, you look at Josh and you want to lock down corner and the guy who can travel and do everything. But it seems like Josh is in a lot of the situations that I feel like DJ talking to. And, and then you look at Dunny, Dunny just didn't look healthy. So, you know, do you bring on the Stroman, a guy 
that's that's proven to you know have a short memory and and tough fighting type guy. You got to put him on the field. You know, you look at Payne, Ioannidis, Allen, and uh, Settle, who I think been playing pretty good. When he gets a chance, you need these guys. You need everybody to step up. Preston Smith and Kerrigan all of a sudden something alive and making plays. But is it enough? You know, at this time, you need some some turnovers for touchdowns. You need to create some short fields, coat. Um, what coat will you get? You know, you can't have three turnovers, and that's why Alex was doing a great job at AP. You got to get AP involved in the game. Chris Thompson, when we see him again, that's your spark, that's your playmaker, and he's unavailable. So it's tough. It's hard. I mean, you you mentioned Dunbar. I mean, he shouldn't have been on the field there when you got to the second half. He couldn't run. Uh, that was that was a big mistake. Um. So what's your right now? If if you had to to place a futures wager on the division, who would you bet on? Well, I mean the Cowboys are trending up. You know, you you look at that, and now you go back and you you think about when we had to root for the Cowboys and hoping they beat the Eagles because we can take care of the Cowboys. That might have been a bad decision. You know, the Eagles. <laughs> Uh, really just didn't look good. I think the Giants gave that game away by, by taking Saquon out. They went away from Saquon, who was having a dominant first yep. half, one of the best first halves of all time. And all of a sudden, I think you give him two or three touches out of the backfield. The man had 11 carries for 100 yards. Are you kidding me? Um, so when you look at the Cowboys, it seems like they're starting to have fun. They're starting to figure it out. You got Zeke, you got Amari, and you got Dak, who's gaining confidence week in, week out. And then that D-line they have over there, I mean, those guys create havoc, and, and you're going to get Sean Lee back. So they're about to start getting guys uh, coming back from injuries to fill in with the guys they already have. So I really look at the Cowboys in a different light now with Amari Cooper, watching Amari Cooper destroy us and seeing, you know what, they got a three, three-way go. You got to stop Zeke, you got to stop Amari, and you got to stop Dak. And Amari has given them that, hey, this guy can catch a five- or six-yard slant and take it the distance. Let's get him the ball early instead of trying to make, develop plays downfield. He's running routes great. Right now, um the Cowboys are minus 225 to win the division. The Eagles are plus 300, and the Redskins are plus 500 to win the division. Um, so that tells you something. No one believes in the Redskins right now. Nobody is. Uh, although I do think they can win three of the final five. I mean, I think they can split with Philly. Uh, the Giants at home is not going to be easy, but I think they can win that game. And then I think – you know, between the Jacksonville and Tennessee road trips, they can steal one of those and, and finish nine and seven. And they, you know, they win tiebreakers over Carolina um, in in head to head wild card uh, race. They, they, I mean, they'd still have a shot at the wild card. The NFC's, you know, everybody's talking about how bad the NFC East is, and it's not a great division. But you could still potentially get two playoff teams. Uh, out of it. Um, yeah, well, you, you get into a wild card situation. Oh, I know. I know. I'm not saying it's going to lead to anything. I'm just. I'm. I'm with you on that. They're not going to go to Minnesota and win. They're not going to go to Chicago and win. You know, they're not going. You know, they might look if they ended up being the sixth seed. It's possible, or or the well, they're they're not going to be more likely than well, they could. They could potentially be the five seed. They could. They could have a, a playoff matchup in Dallas. That's not. You know. 
It's not completely out of the realm of possibility, but I'm with you. They're not going to beat any of these teams in the postseason. Does anybody in the NFC have a chance in L.A. or in New Orleans in that divisional round to to mess up what appears to be a lock Rams-Saints-NFC title game? Well, I mean, if any team has a chance, it would be Minnesota, you know, uh, looking at Minnesota and, and them getting Dalvin Cook back, starting to get guys back, starting to get, you know, starting to look like the defense that they had last year. So that would help. But can Minnesota score enough points to beat the Rams or New Orleans? I don't think so. Defensively, that's the only team that I would say have a shot. And, and the Bears, you know, if the Bears, if you had to go through Chicago, that defense is really good. And they create havoc yeah. for any quarterback. Uh, it's just offensively, you know, for them, they're they're not a – they put up some points and they have some playmakers, but uh, they're going to have to travel. If, if a team had to come through Chicago, I would think it would be tough. But being that they're going to have to go to the Dome or go to L.A., uh, I don't see them winning that. Yeah, Minnesota's better defensively since they got Griffin back, but if they lost Xavier Rhodes last night, that hurts. They can't run the football, though. Their offensive line is terrible. It is, it's not good enough right now. They got, I mean, they got Kirk and they got Diggs and they got Thielen, and that's the only way they've moved the football this year. So to your point, they don't have enough offensively to go into New Orleans or L.A. because they already went to L.A. and they put up 500 yards and 31 points, and it wasn't enough. So Yeah, and I mean, that's what makes it tough. When you look at those two teams, it's just like the, the AFC, you know, teams. Who would you root for in the AFC? Kansas City. You know Kansas City has a problem. New England is always active. But the way the Chargers are playing, it's hard to root against the Chargers, and especially Kansas City and the Chargers. That's a divisional game. That that would be their third matchup. That game could go anyway. So if you can get to Kansas City, San Diego, I mean Kansas City and the Chargers, that's a tough matchup, you know. And and if these teams were to face off Kansas City and New Orleans, or Kansas City and the Rams, or San Diego, I mean it's a high power, it's a high scoring game. Yeah, to me, the AFC defenses, um, whether it's Baltimore's or Houston's or the Chargers, if they're healthy, they've got a better chance to go on the road and beat Kansas City or beat New England than uh, than Minnesota or Chicago does against the Rams and the Saints. First of all, the Saints have turned into a pretty good defensive team themselves with some of their young players, whether it's Lattimore or Davenport. I mean, they, they, their defense is better than I think we thought it was going to be. Well, I mean, it's easy to take pressure off of your players if you tell them, hey, guys, we just need you to get one stop. Exactly. You can get us one stop. <laughs> it's so true. One stop for an entire game. We can win this if you get us one stop. Just give no a yeah. can stop that offense. Do you know what that no is? No one can stop that offense. That is, that, 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 that is so true. I mean, if you're in New Orleans right now, all you got to say to that defense, and the defense has played pretty well, is make them, just make them punt twice. If they punt twice, we're, we're going to win by two scores because we're not going to be exactly. stopped. Um, exactly. I uh, I th- I think it's I think it's going to be really interesting in the AFC. I'm actually really, 
who do, who do you think Baltimore should start? They have so look, they played so Lamar Jackson starts last week against a Bengals team that is a mess, against a Raiders team that is a mess, and they win both games. They had a special teams touchdown, and Suggs got a fumble return for a touchdown yesterday. Would you start Flacco in this next stretch at Atlanta at Arrowhead, or would you start Jackson? I think I would start Jackson just for the simple fact he gives you the threat of of being a runner, and teams have to prepare for that. So you've seen with Jackson, just due to his athletic ability, that if if he could go out and have two turnovers, and you all can like the Ravens could still win. Whereas with Flacco, if he has two turnovers, it put the Ravens in a bad position. But with with Jackson, with his scrambling ability, being able to run, uh, also being able to throw, gaining confidence, and making plays downfield, he gives you that big play ability that Flacco doesn't give you. And if you could just hit, even for the Ravens, they only got to score three touchdowns, and that defense is going to stop somebody. They're coming. Um, so I, I like Jackson's option. You know, you look at Flacco, and if it's a hip, everyone knows a hip, you're not mobile. Yeah, I could come to your aim. It kind of changes your game plan, whereas with, with Jackson, your playbook wide open. I, I, If he is really hurting, you can't play him. If he's healthy again – and I know people don't like Flacco, and I understand what his his flaws are, but he's won a lot of big road games in the postseason, where he's played very well for that franchise over the years. If they in, they've got some big road games. Their schedule, they play, you know, they play at Atlanta this week. Which I mean, say what you want about the Falcons, we know they can score. They got to go to Arrowhead the following week. And then three weeks in, or at the end of December, they got to go to Los Angeles to play the Chargers. I, they got to win probably two of those three, definitely one of them. I just don't know if Jackson can do it right now. Um, but I, he is fun to watch. Hey, um, did you watch Ohio State, Michigan? Yeah, I watched Ohio State, Michigan. Ohio State dumped Michigan. I really thought Michigan. Uh, would come out and win that game. Me too. And, and the way you've seen Ohio State uh, wide receivers attack Michigan DBs, it, it exposed Michigan because their DBs are slow. They're holding. On every plate, they're holding. They're pulling or locking arms. And Ohio State DB, I mean, wide receivers just wanted it more. You know, when you look at Ohio State that struggled the week before against Maryland, gave up all kind of running lanes, they were coming downhill, hitting Michigan. They weren't intimidated uh, by Michigan. They got the quarterback rattled early, and he was just off target. So when you look at Ohio State, they're gaining momentum, and it was just that we're going to have a good game. We're going to put together a complete game, and it came at the perfect time. It came at the perfect time. Couldn't come at a better time. It was their best game of the year, and I'm with you. I thought Michigan's defense was good. I thought they finally had a bit of a playmaker, a quarterback. I thought they could run the ball against Ohio State, and I thought they were going to go into Columbus and win. The question now is, if Bama beats Georgia, you think they will, right? Oh, yeah, I think they will. But if it go the other way, uh, it's hard to keep Bama out. You know, you look at you look at this makeup with Notre Dame and um, Clemson. What is what's one, two, three? It's Clemson, well, Bama, Notre Clemson, Dame. Notre Dame right now. And Georgia's Georgia will be four, but obviously they play Bama on Saturday. 
Yeah, so it's it's kind of tough to screw uh, Georgia, win or lose. And it's tough to, to screw Alabama and Clemson. So if one of these teams were to slip up, it's hard to say, well, you know what, let's take them out when they've been so consistent all season long. And who do you put in? You know, who who got rockets Ohio up? State sitting there. Ohio State and Oklahoma are sitting there right now waiting to, to take one of those spots if they're upsets this weekend. But I'm sort of yeah, Oklahoma defense is horrible, so bad man. Like Oklahoma defense, it's kind of like I would give them the same speech that I give the Saints defense. Hey guys, if y'all can go out and get two stops, we can win this game. I just need y'all to make two plays in this entire game, and I will blitz you every down. Other than that, just give me two two stops. After we get two stops, I will blitz every down. Um, that defense is really bad, but offensively, they score when they get ready. Yeah, I mean, I I think that they um, I think it's the worst defense, power five defense I've seen in a long, long time. They don't even look interested in playing defense, and and Ohio State's been pretty bad defensively all year long uh, as well until Sunday. I, I'm sort of with you. I think if Alabama loses uh, a Saturday, I don't know how you keep them out, and so that would be that would mean Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Georgia. I don't know how you put Oklahoma in over Alabama or Ohio State in over Alabama if Bama loses to Georgia. Now, if they got blown out and they got exposed somehow, like we haven't seen anybody else expose them, um, I, it, maybe we would have a different feeling. But I mean, Oklahoma plays Texas, Ohio State plays uh, Northwestern. Bama's got Georgia in the SEC title game. If they lose, they're still in. Uh, some people think if Georgia loses a close game to Bama, they should be in over Oklahoma and Ohio State. I don't personally think that would happen, but I'll tell you what, Clinton, I think Georgia's better than Oklahoma and Ohio State. I think LSU's better than Oklahoma and Ohio State, um, but uh, they obviously don't have a shot after they lost that seven-overtime game. What else yeah, you got I going on? Look at LSU. I just tell a man enjoying sports just like you. You look at LSU, LSU let a huge game slip away seven overtime. Seventy four to seventy two, that's like impossible the highest scoring game um that I've seen. You know, seventy four seventy two. It's the highest scoring game ever. Just, ever. That's crazy. But you know what? That's what they want. They've taken defenses out of games with all these targeting and personal fouls and you can't hit somebody. A lot of the players run up to the pile and kind of stop. And then you have someone break away. And it's like, oh, well, he could have made that tackle. Well, he could have got kicked out of the game at the same time. Right. So much thinking in football. Even when you look at around the NFL, it's the same way. You know, you look at the skins against the Cowboys, three guys around and nobody hits. And then all of a sudden, he he, scared, he scoots for 90 yards. You know, when you look at plays like that, man, it just comes from everyone thinking about the penalty or you overrun plays and you, you let the quarterback, you can't hit the quarterback. You know, you look at Dak, um, the play that Dak made where he's running through our lineman. You know, it's like, oh, well, okay, he got him down. I'm not going to jump on the pile. Oh, no, he let him go. Now here I come. And I miss the tackle. It's hard. And he throws the ball into the end zone. Yeah, it's really hard for defenses. You can say, well, no one is playing defense anymore. 
but the defense got so much thinking to do in the midst of a play, trying to stay on the field, trying not to get fined, uh, trying not to get kicked out of the game, college and NFL. It's just totally different. You know, you look at how, how everything is set up for the offense to go out and be spectacular, and the defense just got to kind of hope, you know what, if we can hold them to 30, uh, we can win. Well, the good news is the last few years in the postseason, um, NFL postseason, I think they've let them play a little bit. I hope they do the same thing when we get to January. Uh, 26 Minutes with Clinton Portis. That's the name of his podcast. You can listen to it wherever you get podcasts, and you can go to redskins.com and listen to it as well. Uh, I appreciate the time. As always, I'll see you later this week. All right, man, no problem. Catch you later. Okay, Window Nation, 321. All right, let me tell you about Window Nation. They uh, they enjoy this podcast. Harley, Aaron, Eric listen all the time. Eric went down for the game Thanksgiving Day in Dallas. If you've been thinking about new windows, I promise you, as someone who has had Window Nation install windows in my home, you can't go wrong by giving them a call. Time is running out on Window Nation's deal of the year. This week is the final week for buy two windows, get two windows free, buy four, get four free, buy six, get six free with no limit. Plus, 0% financing for five full years. Save that well-earned money to splurge on your family, friends, yourself this holiday. Temperatures have fallen. You're getting that feeling of cold cold air coming into your home. It's only going to get colder over the next couple of months, and your energy bills are starting to rise. Now is the time to get those windows replaced. Window Nation has saved customers an estimated $40 million in energy over the years. This is the final week of the best offer of the year from Window Nation. This absolutely ends this coming Sunday. Get two free windows for every two you buy buy four get four free with no limit plus zero percent interest for five years you're not going to get a better deal at any point the rest of the year or next year call today 866 nation save thousands on your windows and your energy bills use for holiday shopping this season save today save tomorrow save forever call 866 nation or visit windownation.com and tell them i told you to call all right, a couple of quick thoughts just on the skins um, from the other day. First of all, I mentioned the other day that it's been 26 seasons since um, we, we did that. The the, uh, the Redskins, uh, the, right now they, they will enter December with a share of the lead in the NFC East. They have only had the share or the outright lead entering December now three times. This is the third time in the last 27 seasons. I, I said 26 on Friday. It's 27 seasons. Assuming it does happen, Thursday could give the Cowboys the outright lead. That is the 30th. That is the, th- that's true. That, you know what? That is, that is a fair point because they're playing. Uh, but if they lose, Thursday, then the Redskins have the, the outright 30th. lead. Yeah. And they're going to lose. Right. So there you go. Um, but anyway, uh, I, I, I wasn't, you know, some of you accused me of getting overly excited um, about this, about their position on Friday. And that's fair. I am definitely um, a Redskin fan that, you know, has every year sort of yearns for, you know, big games in December, like meaningful games, not this bullshit that we've experienced too often over the the last 27 years where you get to December and basically football for the team you're rooting for is over. 
I mean, it's just happened way too much. You know, the truth of the matter is the last, including this year, we're now into a four-year stretch of some of the most productive football that this organization's had in a quarter century. You know, they were 9-7, and seven, won the division in, in 2015, 8-7-1, 7-9 last year, and they're 6-5 and five right now entering December. Do you know how many Decembers have been much worse than the last four, at least entering them? Uh, but yeah, I, I it's not that I'm overly excited, and that's what I wanted to sort of get to, because it's like, where is all of this heading? You know, where is it heading? I am excited that they are going to play a big Monday night game, a meaningful Monday night game in Philadelphia. You know, for the outright division lead, more likely than not, um, if the Cowboys lose to the Saints. And if they, you know, and then they've got, you know, a game against the Giants that'll be big. Not for the Giants, but it's a division game, it'll be big. And then there's the the prospect of a season ending game at home against Philadelphia for potentially the division or a wild card spot, or something. I, I agree that that Dallas should be the favorite. They should be a heavy favorite right now to win the division. I mean, the Cowboys, you know, they, they, they're going to lose to the Saints, but then they get the Eagles at home. They get the Buccaneers at home. They'll finish on the road in the Meadowlands against the Giants. Those are three games more likely than not they'll be favored in. They do have a game at Indy. Um, on December 16th, but you know, if they get three out of their last five, that's nine and seven, you know, if their wins are the right wins over the Eagles and the Giants, which would complete the sweep over the Eagles, it would complete the sweep over the Giants. They'd have the split with the Redskins. If the Redskins, you know, split with the Eagles, they'd have a better division record. Dallas would, um, you know, but that the prospect of playing a, a closeout game is, I don't know, I, I guess, I guess that's what I wanted to say is that where is all of this heading? Because I sense from many of you that you're not nearly as excited for this. And I get it. There's a recognition by reasonable people. And, and I put myself into this group that they're not going anywhere if they get to the postseason. This is not one of those years where you say, hey, you know, if they get to nine and seven and just get in, it's wide open in the NFC. It's not wide open in the NFC. It could be in five weeks with serious injuries to people like Jared Goff and Drew Brees. That has happened before. Um, but right now, as it stands, the Redskins are not one of the NFC teams that have even a prayer of winning against either one of those two teams on the road, at home, or anywhere else. Nobody's beating them, certainly not these Redskins. So I get that there is that reasonable view. But, but it's more than that too, right? Because, look, if they win 10, what if they win four of the final five? Then win a playoff game at home and lose in New Orleans, um, it would be a place that they haven't been in 12 years. But it still, I don't think, would excite a lot of you. And for me, I would understand that what is the future? You know, what are we buying into even if they make that sort of run? The Smith trade hasn't panned out. It, it, I thought it would pan out better than it has. I did. Um, but it may never pan out. Adam Schefter reported over the weekend, um, and I've got to find the uh, the story. I'll, well, I'll just paraphrase what it was. It was one of those stories that read like his career may be in jeopardy, that the injury really, was serious and the surgery was serious, but at the same time he may come back healthy. So who knows? But the headline was like, you know, Alex Smith's 
leg injury could be career-threatening. Um, but all of that goes into it, right? It's not just that the fact that, that that injury could be career-threatening. It's the fact that he didn't play very well through most of the year when we saw him. So you look at him and you say, well, the future quarterback doesn't look great. And that's always a big part of any sort of futuristic thinking about your your favorite football team. Not to mention that the Alex Smith you know deal is going to be a lot of guaranteed money tied up salary cap wise. Then there's more. Uh, there, there's more than than just that. Um, it's it's the lack of confidence which I also have in Bruce Allen and in Jay Gruden to be the two lead faces for this organization. You know, I think everybody understood, at least I understood, that this season was a playoff or bust season coming in. Now the prospect out there is that they could go to the playoffs, but you're going to still end up with this feeling of, is the arrow pointed in the right direction? You know, you have a lot of things going on here with with Dan Snyder. He's going to have some big decisions to make. You know, there's been unprecedented fan apathy unprecedented. That Indianapolis home opener, there's never been anything like that. Um, the Houston game was was a good home crowd environment, but it was far from a sellout. You haven't had one legitimate sellout game this year. Not one. And they've been good record-wise. So you've got all these things at work. So I, I, I do sort of understand when someone says, great, there are meaningful games, but where is this going? Yeah, I, I, get, I, I understand that. I do. There's no obvious path right now to sustain success. There may never be with Dan Snyder as the owner. I think everybody understands that to a certain degree. But when it comes to just sort of the football roster, they're young and improved on defense. There's hope there. But you got a quarterback situation that's very much up in the air now. Um, and you've got a head coach that really most of the fan base doesn't believe in. He, and for me, I've said it for three years running, he's a middle-of-the-pack coach. He is, you know, there are 12, 13, 14 guys he's better than, but there are definitely 12, 13, you know, guys that he's nowhere near or certainly not better than. I mean, he's in the middle of the pack. And, you know, it's a it's a loose atmosphere with Jay, and he does some things really well. He designs a, a really good pass offense. But, you know, he doesn't have a quarterback right now to run it, we don't think. Anyway, um, next Monday night, a week from tonight, is a big game. It's a big game. It's a divisional game against the defending Super Bowl champions who are trying to, to keep their season alive, a season that's been very disappointing for them against a Redskins team that will start Colt McCoy with actual practice leading up to this game. So maybe he will play better than he did in Dallas. I can tell you this, he can't turn the ball over three times. If he does, they're going to get whooped badly. Okay, uh, let me tell you about Farish Chrysler Dodge Jeep in Fairfax, Virginia. Uh, Ralph Perkins, Kevin Farish, they're the best. They understand their customers better than any dealership in town. I promise you that if you give them a chance, they will not disappoint. So if you're thinking about something new, considering something new, you know, for yourself or for somebody else or as a holiday gift, that would be nice. 
Give Farish a chance. Uh, their sales team experienced one of the most sa- one of the most experienced sales teams in the area. Most of their salespeople have been there for twenty years. Their service department is the best. You can find out all you need to know right now at FarishCars.com. Live inventory, live pricing, plus the best deals they have right now as well. If you've been thinking about a Jeep right now, Cherokees, Grand Cherokees, Wranglers, great time to buy. They're located right there in Fairfax Circle. Ask for Ralph Perkins when you get there. Tell him I told you to come in and say hello. He'll put you in touch with their best salesperson. Find out everything you need to know right now at farishcars.com. All right, uh, let's get to weekend DVR. Did you have a busy weekend? Don't worry. We've got you covered. It's time for Weekend DVR. All right, a couple of these things that we've already touched on or I did with Clinton. Uh, The Ohio State-Michigan game, I mean, I didn't see that coming. I didn't. I thought Michigan's defense was legit. Um, They got absolutely torched by Ohio State's athletes. And Haskins had the best game I think I've seen him play. Um, And their defense played by far and away, and that was probably the key more than anything else in that game, is that defensively Ohio State's been pretty bad at times this year. You know, Nebraska moved the ball up and down the field against them. Maryland did the same. Purdue, you know, they couldn't stop Purdue. Um, You know, they, they couldn't really stop Penn State in that game. They couldn't stop TCU, remember, early in the year. Hell, Oregon State. Remember when they opened the season Labor Day weekend with one of the worst college football programs in America? And Oregon State scored in the 30s against Ohio State's defense. Um, But Ohio State's defense, and I know they gave up 39. Ultimately, they gave up 39 points, but a lot of it was at the, you know, in the fourth quarter. Michigan scored 20 points in the fourth quarter when the game was completely out of hand. But man, Haskins was great in this game. He was really good in this game. 20 of 31. Nearly 400 yards. I think the final number was 396. Six touchdowns. And look, he's got athletes. I mean, Paris Campbell, that dude's got ridiculous speed. K.J. Hill, all of them. I mean, they're they're really good. And then they, they got the running back tandem of, of, of Dobbins and Weber. We didn't even see Weber. I never heard the story as to why Weber didn't play at Maryland. Was he suspended for that game? But... Michigan couldn't do anything in this game. And that's not true. They they got they got back into the game at, right before the end of the first half. It was 24 to 19 at halftime. Their tight end dropped two passes that were crucial early in the third quarter when they were down one score and had a chance to move the ball and tie the game and Jesus, you got Harbaugh going for two every time. I don't know what the hell he was thinking about. I, these analytics people they're driving these coaches nuts nuts. Um but Ohio State dominated. I mean, they played the best game of the year, both sides of the ball, not even close. You know, Michigan hadn't played an offensive team like Ohio State. I did mention that on Friday, but I still thought they were really good defensively. Um, A couple of uh, of other things. Did you see Urban Meyer, Aaron, on the sideline? He picked up a 15-yard penalty early for arguing. You know, he's got this cyst thing on his brain, Mm -hmm. and it's benign, but it's a condition that causes him severe headaches when he gets very stressed. And there have been a couple of times in recent weeks where he's been bent over on the sideline. Oh, yeah. The entire game against Maryland. It's like the Roy Williams situation for North Carolina. We've seen Roy. He apparently gets dizzy spells, stress-related dizzy spells, and he'll go down on one knee on the sideline, and you're like, good God, are you are you going to live? Urban Meyer, I mean, he looks like a guy that is about to bust. 
But his team was really, really good. I, there's one thing he did. I can't stand these coaches when they have a quarterback that is absolutely killing it, and they get into a first-and-goal situation, and they put the backup quarterback in for some special red zone package. And this number 18, the the, the quarterback for Ohio State, you know, went you know they went first and goal to a field goal attempt. I'm like, why would you do that? Game was still competitive first half. Haskins just moved you down the field. I think some sometimes these college coaches they promise some of these recruits playing time as freshmen, and it's like, oh, we'll work some packages up for you your freshman year. No, you're playing Michigan. You don't put number 18 into the game on first and goal from the three. They got nothing and had to kick a field goal. Auburn, Alabama. That game was a game at halftime. It was a legit game. Uh, it wasn't a game as it turned out. They won 52-21. to It was 17-14 to at halftime. And I want to point out one situation from that game because it gets to the CBS broadcast crew. I love Brad Nessler, and I loved Vern, who did the, C- the CBS uh, SEC games for years. I just cannot listen to Gary Danielson anymore. You know, I mentioned during the LSU game when they had Devin White out and suspended for the first half, how he was talking in this very submissive way about just get to halftime, you know, so you can get Devin White back. Don't do anything crazy. Don't take any chances. You just got to get there down 10. Well, he did the same thing with Auburn at the end of the first half. They get the ball back. They've got momentum. They had blocked a punt, scored a touchdown on a on a, on a halfback, uh, you know, on a, on a a trick play to get it to 17-14. Then they they hold Bama to three and out, get the punt back, and they've got it first and 10 at their own 30 with a minute 20 left. And Gary Danielson starts talking about, oh, don't do anything, R- run the clock out, take some knees and, and get to the halftime. I mean, it's 17-14. Wouldn't you take that before the game started? You can't play that way against Bama. Are you kidding me? I mean, you talk about submissive and soft. And guess what? Gus Malzahn basically ran the clock out at the end of the half. And, and many of you, I tweeted something, and many of you didn't get the, what I was saying. It was, really, it was more of a direct criticism of Danielson and Malzahn, uh, Gus Malzahn, t- to a certain extent. And they said, well, what's the difference? Bama won the game 52-21. to 21. Uh, The difference is they could have potentially had the lead or been tied at the half. They actually had some momentum there at the end of the first half. They were playing good defense. Bama punted, I think, three times in the first half. When has that happened? Um, I just can't – I cannot stand – I love Brad Nessler. I hope that CBS replaces Danielson next year. I mean, no wonder he was such a bad NFL quarterback. I mean – he plays not to lose more than anybody I've ever heard broadcast a game in terms of the way he calls a game. Uh, Bama won easily, <laughs> fifty-two to twenty-one. They dominated the second half, and they're a thirteen and a half point favorite over Georgia in the SEC title game. I thought it was going to be more. I think Georgia is going to be a smell test pick. I can't guarantee that. Um, look, Bama is. In recent weeks, what you've seen is if you are physical and you are tricky a little bit in the run game, you can actually run it a little bit. Auburn did in the first half uh, with that with that guy Whitlow, who looks like a pro to me. Um, and 
you know, if you're physical with them, if you've got a defense like Georgia does, like Mississippi State does, like Auburn does, you can bang them up a little bit. You know, they weren't dominant offensively in that game until, you know, some of the turnovers started to come. Um, anyway, uh, 13 and a half in the SEC title game. Uh, Notre Dame SC, uh, SC was a smell test pick. I really like JT Daniels. I think he's going to be a pro quarterback one day, SC's freshman quarterback. He, you know, he missed a couple games because he was was injured. Um, you can see some baller in him, and they've got talent. Uh, they're going to replace Clay Helton. I don't know who's going to get that job. Um, I, I saw Kevin Sumlin's name floated. Are you kidding me? Why would why would SC want Sumlin? And and then the other part of that, why would Chris Peterson leave Washington for Southern Cal? I saw that too. You know, Washington's a pretty good job with a crazy home field advantage and, and very rabid fan base too. Why would he want to be in L.A.? And, and of course, it's money. Um, Dino Babers, that's a guy they should want, the Syracuse coach. But... Anyway, um, Notre Dame came back. Uh, you know, they showed some resolve there. They they won the game. They're going to be in the they're going to be in the playoff. They 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 finished the regular season unbeaten. Uh, they were down ten nothing in that game. There were other opportunities for SC to to score, and they just they just couldn't get over the hump like they haven't been able to all year long. Uh, and then there was one of the craziest games in NFL history. Um, it was not a game that had any playoff implications, Texas A&M and LSU. Uh, it was a game, I talked a little bit about this game on Friday because A&M was a three-point favorite, and I thought it, you know, some, somebody tweeted me, A&M's going to be in your smell test, and I said, you know what, I, I checked, and the, the action was split, but I could understand why this guy thought I would put A&M in the, in the smell test. I thought it was surprising, too, that they were a three-point favorite. But it wasn't. It wasn't. But I will tell you, I personally had Texas A&M laying three, uh, and they won by two. So I, I wanted another overtime. I wanted an eighth overtime, and it should have happened. Um, it was terrible what happened to LSU in this game. They had a game-winning interception at the end of the game overturned. Um, they gave uh, they gave Ed Ogeron the Gatorade bath on the sideline. Game was over. Interception by. Uh, Delpit, their, their, their safety, who's going to be in the NFL. And um, the quarterback had taken a snap and had put a knee down. Uh, so that got overturned. There was a fourth and 18 uh, late where the A&M receiver clearly came up short, um, and they gave him a first down. The play was not reviewed. That would have ended the game. There was a game-winning fumble ruled incomplete uh, that was never reviewed. And then the worst of all of them, in the seventh overtime, the uh, you have to go for two beginning in the third overtime. For those of you that don't know the college football playoff rule, and I'm going to get to that also in a moment. Um, it went back and forth. You know, this this there wasn't one overtime period in this game where there was a stop. The game went to overtime. By the way, on the last play of regulation, be, uh, Texas A&M got a play, spiked the ball. The clock, I think, got hung up there. I think it should have run out, but they went back and put a second on the clock. And they threw a touchdown pass on the final play of the game. Goes to overtime. It was first overtime, two field goals. Second overtime, two touchdowns with two regular PATs. Uh, third overtime, both teams score. Both teams make two-point conversions. Fourth overtime, two field goals. Fifth overtime, both teams score touchdowns and miss the two-point conversions. All right? 
sixth overtime, both teams score touchdowns and both make two-point conversions. And then in the seventh overtime, LSU got it first. Uh, Joe Burrow scores. Uh, he had a hell of a game for LSU, their, their quarterback. They miss the PAT. So they've got a 72-66 lead. Uh, and this was one of those situations in the seventh overtime where it got nutty because n- none of these teams were really pressed at all uh, with with defense in the overtime. There, let me just say this. There were about seven occasions during these over- end of fourth quarter and overtimes where the win probability for one team over the other was 95% plus, and it didn't work out. There were long shots after long shots that came through. And then in the seventh overtime with LSU up six, 72-66, finally there is an actual big defensive play, and there's like a second and 15 and a third and 15. And on third and 15, uh, they throw they, they throw a pass um, that is uh, – they throw a touchdown pass, and it's 72-72. And then what happens is just the worst, one of the worst calls you'll ever see. And I think what happened was the referees just got to the point where they wanted it to end. It was a really odd and and, and weird feel to this game. The crowd had sort of emptied a little bit up top. You could see it in the upper upper decks. I mean, this there's a game. This game lasted five hours. And the, the crowd that was left was very subdued. I mean, they were exhausted. And so on the PAT attempt, down 74-72, there's a throw that's way over the head of the receiver. There's no contact. And the flag comes out, interference. There was no contact at all. None. Uh, and then what made it worse was that the... Uh, it, it, it was it was their really good corner, Greedy Williams, that was called for the pass interference. He gets pissed and yells at the referee, and the referee throws his hat as a second flag. And so they move the ball to the one, and now they've got a chance to complete, uh, to go for two again, and they complete a pass for the two-point conversion and the win, 74-72 final, the highest-scoring football game in FBS history. I don't know that there's ever been a higher scoring game, period. I mean, in terms of the NFL or college football, major college football in the say, last maybe, century. Maybe one double A or Division two, something like that. 74 to 72 was the final score. LSU got completely hosed in this game. Completely hosed. And I was rooting for AM to cover. So I needed an eighth overtime where AM would have gotten the ball first, and I needed one of those where they scored, you know, got the two point conversion. Or didn't, and then stopped uh, LSU. But nobody could stop anybody in the game. Um, in the game, um, uh, Texas A&M uh, ran um, the uh, the number of plays. Hold on, I just had it a second ago. They ended up running in the game uh, 107 plays. They ran in the game 107. LSU ran 90 plays in the game, and that'll just get me to this. I've never liked the college overtime rule. I think it's gimmicky. It's like, you know, you don't have special teams. You don't force a team to drive the football. To me, it's always been a gimmicky way to to, to um, decide a football game that was played in a much different way through the first 60 minutes. So I've always hated it. But I'll tell you this. If, if safety is an issue in college football, which it is, like it is in the NFL – 
they're going to have to do something because these players were exhausted. They couldn't – it was so obvious that it was, it was dangerous from an injury standpoint. Um, I don't know how they would decide it other than – I mean, personally, I would love to just see the old – not the old – the recent NFL rule at 15 minutes. Each team gets a shot unless you score a touchdown on the opening drive. And in college football, that may be, you know, you may want to give each team a chance even if there is a touchdown scored on the opening drive. But I want to see real football played. I want to see special teams played. I, I, look, if you love the college football rule, that's fine. Have at it. I'm not here to argue it. I just personally don't love it. Uh, other things from the weekend. I did pay for Tiger Phil on Friday. Uh, I did he get a refund? Yeah, apparently everybody's going to get a refund. I don't know how that works, how they're going to give everybody a refund because I guess they had technical glitches, and in some areas of the country, people got it for free. How are they going to pay Phil, his $9 million? Um, The advertising money, perhaps? I mean, Capital One was a big sponsor of the thing. Uh, let me just say this. It wasn't that good. It just wasn't that good. I, I felt like it was, um, it was just so... You know, it was it was strange because at the beginning of the broadcast, they're showing the course, which is a spectacular course. I have not played Shadow Creek. I know people that have out in Vegas, and they say it's spectacular. But they kept talking about how the 17th, the par 3 17th is the signature hole, and I'm thinking, well, they may not get to the 17th. This is match play. They knew they were getting to the 17th. And, and the 17th provided the most drama, which couldn't have been fixed because Tiger chipped in from off the green to basically uh, push it to an 18th and... And, and and final hole, of course, it wasn't the final hole because they went to one playoff hole after the other. It was finally decided on the 22nd hole with Mickelson winning, and that's because they were give, giving each other like four- and five-foot putts, which was just I, – I, the whole thing just I, – I, let me just say this. I'll never buy it again. Uh, you know, when they're talking about, ooh, oh, the next one's going to be Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth, I guarantee you I'm not paying for that. I will I will not pay for a Tiger versus anybody in the future. Uh, and it was only 1995. It wasn't like it was super expensive. Right. And it looks like I'm going to get it for free. Yeah. I'll say this. Uh, I was following some people who were at various sports books or whatever while this was going on. I bet that would have been fun. It would have been fun there, there. But if you had Phil and he's given Tiger five-foot putts to say, oh, I don't want it to right. end this way, um, I, I just didn't – the whole thing. The broadcast wasn't great either. I mean – Barkley was on it. He was fine. Pat Perez was like the big star that they were trying to promote as part of the broadcast. I don't know. I, it, it, I wouldn't do it again. Um, the Wizards uh, had a weekend. Actually, let, let me just say this. The Caps are on a roll. Just All right, The Caps beat the Rangers uh, and the Red Wings, I think, since we last did a show. Um, they were behind in that Rangers game, um, and they, they rolled back in the third period. Uh, to win that game 5-3. to three. So they just went from being next to last in the Metropolitan to in, they're now in first in the Metropolitan. Uh, so good weekend for them. Um, I paid more attention, as I normally do, to the Wizards, who really sort of laid an egg on Friday night against Toronto. Okay, I mean, but Wall was just a turnover machine. It was painful to watch him on Friday night. Um and they played Toronto. Okay, they, they they played they played Toronto. And Kawhi Leonard went for like twenty seven and ten and had a bunch of steals and was really good in the game. Uh, and then they came back uh, against a, a a Pelicans team without Anthony Davis playing. All right, and beat the Pelicans one twenty four 
to 114. And in that particular game, again, no Anthony Davis playing. All right, that, that's a rather big deal. Um, they they really won it in the fourth quarter. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you who I just I, I did not like him in Los Angeles, but Austin Rivers can play. Like he can really play, and he is a point guard that can create his own offense. Um, John can too, to a certain degree, but but he can't rely on his jump shot. Austin Rivers can. Uh, Rivers was re- was really good in the game. Uh, I don't know how many points he ended up with, but he he was knocking down shots left and right. He was, he, he got to the got to the rim a couple times and finished um, in that game. And the Wizards beat the Pelicans. They're seven and twelve, uh, and they play the Rockets tonight. So James Harden's in town. If you want to go watch him, uh, I'll save the Dwight Howard stuff for Tommy tomorrow. Oh, I I did want to mention, Maryland had a game on Friday night against Marshall, who was undefeated. They were a tournament team last year, and they won a game in the tournament. They beat West Virginia in the tournament last year to get to that, that, you know, weekend, first weekend. And they, you know, they've got most of their players back. They're predicted to do very well in their league. Maryland beat them 104 to 67, and at one point in the second half, they were up 50 on Marshall. They had 90 points, Maryland did, and there were still six and a half minutes left in the game. And then they went with, you know, a bunch of substitutions. I think they could have scored 115, 120 if they'd wanted to. It was the most points scored in the Turgeon era. That's really 104 is the most in the Turgeon era? Yes. I actually can believe that. Uh, they have a huge game. I'm assuming, Aaron, they're going to be ranked today. It'll be close. It'll be very close. I think they're going to be 25 or 26. I saw one person publish their ballot. wasn't on there. So it'll be right there. Obviously, they haven't really. It depends how you view that win. Was it just them beating a a subpar team, or was it them beating a decent team? All right. uh, Gonzaga, I think, well, I don't know if they're going to leapfrog Kansas because Kansas came back and beat Tennessee in overtime, and Tennessee is a fifth-ranked team in the country. Tennessee blew a lead in that game. But Maryland's got Virginia in the ACC Big Ten uh, on Wednesday night at Xfinity. I'll be there. Looking forward to it. Um, I think I'm going to go with Scott. I think that's what I'm going to do. And the reason I'll probably do that is because his seats are always really good. (laughs) They give me me good seats if I ask, but they give him the best seats, uh, which is what they should do. Um, But I'm looking forward to that. I mean, that's, that's... you know, Maryland played a team that played them in man-to-man essentially for the first time this year, and you saw Bruno Fernando, who is really, really growing. I mean, for all of you guys that say, oh, Turgeon doesn't develop players, Bruno Fernando's gotten a lot better since he got here. A lot better. Uh, and they do have guys that can shoot, even though it didn't look like that in the first few games. It'll be interesting. I mean, a big test. And then they open up Big Ten play this coming weekend, right? They got They have Penn State. And yes. then they go on the road against Purdue, I think, the yes. following week. So some big tests coming up for Maryland, who is undefeated, and we'll find out later on today whether or not they are ranked. Uh, I did want to mention one other thing real quickly, too. I keep saying one other thing, one other thing. Um, what does it take for a roughing the punter call? Now, when's the last time, seriously, as a football fan, you watched a game and you saw roughing the punter 15 yards called versus running into the kicker, the five-yard variety? Because Maryland's punter, Wade Lease, on Saturday in the game against Penn State, they got blown out at Penn State uh, so they don't go to a bowl game. He got roughed 
in a way that was truly like dangerous to his health. The leg extended and he gets barreled into, and they call the five yard running into the into the kicker. And I, 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 I was back and forth. You know, I, I had the Maryland game on one actually on my computer screen, and I had Auburn Alabama on the main TV. Um, I just it, it seems like we never get a roughing the punter anymore. Uh, congrats overall, though, to the Maryland kids who had as about as much drama and tragedy as as any team this year in college football had. They won five games and they nearly won a sixth last week against Ohio State, and that would have knocked Ohio State completely out of the playoff picture. Um, so it wouldn't have mattered that they beat Michigan on Saturday if if Piggy could have just thrown to a wide open receiver. Um, but I, I give those kids and 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 I give Matt Canada a lot of credit because they were a competitive outfit this year, and it didn't look like at the beginning of the year with everything that was going on that they had a chance to win five or six games. They didn't get to five, six uh, and bowl eligibility. You know, the bowl uh, situation is interesting. There are 78 bowl spots, and there are now, I think, 81 or 82 bowl-eligible teams. So there are some teams that aren't going to go to a bowl game. Uh Personally, I'll just finish this up. Um, I think Alabama will beat Georgia. Clemson's not losing to Pitt. Notre Dame's in. And I think Ohio State with a win over Northwestern is going to be the fourth team. I think the win over Michigan was so impressive, and if, if they follow that up with another impressive win over uh, over Northwestern, even though it's not a great team they're going to beat, I think Ohio State's going to be the fourth team. Unless Georgia loses like some controversial game, um, Pitt's not beating Clemson. I mean, so no, to me, there are two locks right now. Clemson and Notre Dame are in. And Bama has their toughest game of the year. They do. And it's going to be, you know, that crowd, it'll be interesting in Atlanta. Could be a Georgia crowd. Can't wait for this for that game. That's about the only championship game that's worth looking forward to on Saturday. All right. Uh, thanks to Clinton Portis for joining us on the show. Thanks to Aaron for producing the show. Tommy's with me tomorrow. Lots to get to, including uh, the Colt McCoy performance. I know he will want to weigh in on that, and maybe we'll get to the Dwight Howard stuff as well. Have a great day.